Welcome to TA1, everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson. <clears throat> Flying solo tonight. Birds are downstairs and the dog's sleeping because we just got a little walk in. So uh, old school with not a lot of adventure racing talk this week, but I think you're going to like it. So um, that's all I got to say about that. Can't talk about any races, right? So uh, hell, go fast, take chances, wear a mask, and uh, be nice to everybody. So thanks for listening. Bye. Uh, do I dare try audio here? Sure. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Okay. Yep. It was it was on my end. <laughs> Oops. Okay. Hey, I know nothing about this stuff. So when it works, I mean, I am just so thrilled and I want to jump up and down. But anyhow. Yeah. Well, I've done like 450 episodes and it seems like something's always. <laughs> and, and quite honestly, I'm using um, GarageBand in like a three generations old and it's not supported. Yeah. So that's what's, yeah. that's what's kind of giving me trouble. I th- I think it's time to go to a different recording system, but yeah, it's working. So the problem is if my camera's here and I'm looking at you over here <laughs> on a different oh, monitor. Okay. <laughs> so, well, so if you see me looking like this, that's cuz I'm looking at you. <laughs> okay, that's fine. So, um hi. <laughs> hey. Um, we we've never met, have we? No, we haven't. I've I've heard stories of you. I've uh, actually had your teammate Mark on the podcast. Oh yeah. So and his episode is one one of the lost episodes. So oh. at some point in time, like about two dozen episodes disappeared. So. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so so I sort of know who you are, but who are you? Um, so my background, I'm, you know, of course I have a business, but my background is primarily ultra running. And I started doing that way back in, uh, mid eighties before that, uh, I started running, uh, um, the late seventies. And then I got into adventure racing, which I guess is the topic, uh, that we're going to talk mostly about yeah, unless in 1995. Uh, unless something mm-hmm. cooler comes up. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, got into that in 1995 and did uh, all of the eight eco challenges. And then they breathed life back into it uh, here 17 years later. Um, Also, I have a background in mountaineering, doing the seven summits, uh, including Everest. So um, I, I guess you could say I'm sort of a you know, I do sort of a triple thing as far as endurance is concerned. That's true. And the one thing that um, kind of impressed me is you you summited all seven, the first attempt on each one of them. Yeah, and I don't know what the percentage of people that do that sort of thing, you know, get away with with doing it the first time, but um, I think it's pretty low. I would, I would just guess maybe 10, 20% at the most, something like that, so... A lot of it is just luck, primarily with the weather, yeah. and um, I think a little bit of experience you know, factors into it, too. You know, having patience, being a little bit older, I think that helped. 
So how well, how have you managed to keep doing this for since the seventies? <laughs> I mean, I I started my career bike racing and stuff in the eighties, and by two thousand ten, I was done and went to the other side to do filming and photos and stuff. So how have you managed to keep keep your uh, focus this long? Well, I, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, jumping from the ultra running to adventure racing. And then all of a sudden, when it stopped, I started doing the seven summits. So I always had a goal and something a little bit different. So it always felt like I was learning something new and keeping it fresh. And now all of a sudden, you know, I've gone back, of course, to adventure racing just briefly. I don't anticipate that I'm going to do a whole lot more of those. But uh, the ultra running I can always always do. I don't know if you want to call it ultra running. It's more ultra walking now. So, uh, but anyhow, it just um, I just like the challenge. And one of the challenges now is to just see how long I can keep going. And you know, it's very nice that I have been able to. Um, you know, my knees are still good. I put on over a hundred thousand miles of running on them, and they're still great. So uh, a lot of it is genetic, and I've been, you know, very lucky, and I've tried to take care of myself, but on the other hand, I beat myself up a whole lot, too. So I've just been able to sort of persevere through it. So, I mean, have you ever had a, a serious injury that slowed you down? Well, yeah. Um, you know, my knees did bother me at one time, and I think it had more to do with, uh, you know, just some bad shoes and you know, they came up with the uber cushion shoes such as Hoka or Ultra. I'm wearing Ultras now, and they have good cushioning, and I think that has helped a lot. Um, when I was running across America, I had a plantar fasciitis that was, uh, you know, it, it slowed me down just a little bit, but not enough to, to where I wouldn't finish. And then um, there were complications uh, because of that. Uh, my back is always kind of bothered me, uh, particularly when I've gone back. I usually lay off two or three months out of the year, usually January, February, something like that. And I think that increased my longevity. So um, started doing that. But uh, as I get back and strengthening, what happens is my back starts hurting. And then I know what I have to do is I have to start doing sit-ups and things like that so yeah. I can sort of get a balance between my abdominal mus muscles and, you know, my glutes and things like that. So um, it's just sort of uh, maintenance, and I've got a little protocol for it. And right now my back's bothering me because I'm starting to increase my mileage running. <laughs> so it's a never-ending cycle. <laughs> so okay, sometimes I save this for the end. But if you're increasing your mileage, what's what's next on your list? Well, I'd like to go out and do Badwater one more time, mm -hmm. at least. Uh, I never say that I'm you know going to just do it one more time and that's it. That's yeah. definitively it. But uh, I'd like to go back and do it because I started doing that in 1990, and I have averaged a crossing of Death Valley now for. 29 years and this will be the 30th yeah. so uh you know i'd like to get 30 in and uh then maybe i can breathe a sigh of relief and you know who knows maybe i'll move on to other things like uh being a couch potato and drinking beer um i don't think that's gonna happen <laughs> okay so here's you're gonna hate this question but 
So you go you go and you do bad water and you get thirty and then your does your mind start thinking, well, forty? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But but you know what? It's it's like you were talking about uh, my good buddy Mark Macy, who you know was on the Stray Dogs Adventure Racing team for years and years and years, and um, you know I go out and train with him two or three times a week. And the big joke is, it's really easy to say that you're going to do something, but to actually get out there and do it is much more dif- difficult. And it seems yeah. to get more and more difficult as I get older, but. Uh, you know, I just have to be patient with myself and understand that I'm getting older and I'm not as fast. And, you know, I'm going to hurt a little bit more here and there. But, uh, you know, I do know how to persevere because I've had years of experience doing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Shoot, I lost my frame, frame of reference. Um, and it was a really good question, too, but we'll move on. Oh, no, I know what it was. <laughs> See, I remember. Do you, like... Tell people you're going to do something to to help make sure you do it. You know that's 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 very insightful because that was one of my modes. I wouldn't whisper it to anybody. I'd think about it. I'd dream about it. I'd anticipate doing it, and then as soon as I would verbalize it, then I was pretty well roped into doing it. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. That's one yeah. way of holding myself accountable. So. And, uh, and have you ever, like, said, hey, I'm going to do this, and then you start to really look at it and train and think, no, maybe I shouldn't? Yeah, in particular, one example, and I talk about that actually in, in this new book that I have, Both Feet on the Ground, and that was uh, there was a 72-hour race that was leading up to my run across uh, the United States, which – you know, of course, you probably know I I was 57 years old. It took me 52 days, and I was averaging close to 60 miles per day. Well, leading up to that, I was doing a ton of training. I would very typically put in, you know, 100 miles. Some of my uh, weeks consisted of 200 miles of running. So, you know, it was very, very intense, and I decided – as part of my training, I'd go out and do the 72-hour, and I thought, you know, I'll just go out and do 50, 60 miles a day, just like it would be out on the road. So the first day I went out, and I did 55 miles, stopped, and, uh, you know, of course, I was sleeping and stuff like that. And somewhere, uh, as I laid myself down, I said, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm, I know it's going to hurt. I know I have to yeah. focus when the time comes. So I'm not going to do it. And I didn't. I didn't go out the second day. I I just figured I'm going to just allow myself to bail out of this one because when I get out on the road and, you know, those 52 days, I have to do it every day. And that's when it's really going to count. So if you other than that, like, have you ever been in a race? Okay. Have you ever dropped out of a race? Oh, absolutely. I've dropped out of bad water i think four or five times now okay so my question is and and i assumed you did my question is do you have any regrets later because for me in my career races that i dropped out of there's not a single one that i look back at and think no i should have kept going you know that's you know and that's very insightful because a lot of guys they'll say oh yeah well i have to have a good reason and it may not 
it doesn't have to be that physically I can keep going, but mentally I just may, you know, say that's it. Just like the example that I just used, you know, I just had enough of it. I've been training hard. I knew that my training was spot on. So why beat myself up and try and prove to myself that I have to go out there and do, you know, 50, 60 miles a day when I know that I can do it. So, no, I don't have regrets. Uh, the, the races that I've dropped out of, it was very, I guess, I don't want to say it's calculated, but it just kind of fell into place where it was a good logical choice. And I felt that I could rebound from that and come back stronger. And thus, and the other thing, too, is I always tell people that my successes, like, you know, I've won Badwater four times. Well, that's terrific, and that's all well and good. But guess what? Those four or five times that I've dropped out, I've learned more. So I learn more from my failures than I do my successes. Are you the kind of of person that that when somebody says, oh, wow, you won Badwater four times, do you say thank you, but I also didn't win it 25 times? Uh, well, you know, usually I don't mention that I've ever won yeah. it. That's, that's you, you know, it just, you know, it's just kind of like tooting your own horn. Um, the only reason that I bring it up now is a lot of times I'll say it to qualify myself. So take, for instance, your listeners know that, you know, I'm just not some Joe Blow off the street who, you know, at, uh, I'm a back of the packer now and I'm proud of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. as long as I can get it done, that's, that's. The best thing in the world doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. Was yeah. it, um, are you having more fun now being the back of the packer than, than being the front of the pack or is it just different? Oh. oh my God. I mean, you know, there's just a whole lot more suffering out there <laughs> and you prolong the suffering, but then, you know, there's, there's the joke. A lot of guys say, you know, I paid, uh, you know, hundred, two hundred bucks entry, but uh, boy, did I get a lot of bang for my buck. Yeah. So, you know, there's always a silver lining too. Um, but yeah, um, it's it's tougher to be in the back of the pack than it is in the front, and I I can unequivocally say that. Yeah, well, because you're working, you're working relatively as hard now as you were 20 years ago for a longer period of time. That's that's exactly right. You hit the nail on the head. And the other thing, too, is I'm not willing to put in, you know, 100 and 110 mile weeks and do, um, you know, wind sprints and stuff like that. I just I, I refuse to do that. I've got other priorities in my life where, you know, I can let those fall to the, the wayside and I can still go out and do what I need to do and get it accomplished. Uh, you know, I'll go out and do bad water and instead of doing it and say 25 hours it'll take me 45 hours so my rule of thumb is it takes me twice as long now if you know that and you're good with that that's 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 um you're very mature for a young man (laughs) (laughs) so is is there something that you would like to go back and tell yourself that the first the first time you ran bad water Well, yeah, I I think what I'd like to tell myself is 
and I've learned this, and I, I like to say it over and over again, don't take yourself too seriously. Back then, I used to take myself pretty seriously, and, you know, I'd want to puff out my chest, and I'd want to win. Uh, I always felt that I was gracious, but um, there was a part of me that, you know, it was ego-driven, and I think once you start taking yourself too seriously, it, it's not fun anymore. It's It doesn't become... I don't know. I don't want to say it makes you a bad person, but I, I think it's sort of an obstacle to overcome the ego thing, you know? Yeah. But don't you have to be a little cocky to think you can win? You do. You do. <laughs> so. And I'd go out. What I would do is take, a, take for instance, a bad water. I'd go out and I would try and put enough distance between – me and the second place guy where they would lose visual side of me. Yeah. And yeah. then I would just back off. So it was a psychological game. And at night, what I would do is if there was somebody close by and I could see their headlights and I'm, you know, this, this is a trade secret. So you, you know, I'd have to kill you if you told this to anybody else, although this yeah. is your podcast. Yeah. So I guess it's yeah. going to go viral. Except I know you hope it does go viral. Yep. But, um, you know, and I talk about this, uh, you know, in one of my other books uh, and, you know, uh, Chris McDougall talks about it in Born to Run, I believe, too, where what I would do is tape a portion of my taillights. And so the next stop, we go up a couple of miles. I tape a little bit more. Then we go up a couple of miles, tape a little bit more. So the guy in back of me would think that I was accelerating and poof, I was just gone. <laughs> So that, that yeah, might be the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was just, you know, we would play mind games and it wasn't just me. People would do it to me too. just uh, try and mess with your mind. I know uh, Tommy Possert, the first time that I ran Badwater, he passed me at 117 miles and Adrian Crane, one of my good buddies now, you know, he came back and I said, where's Tommy at? And he said, oh, he's all the way up the portals and stuff like that. He was just a couple of miles ahead. If I would have known that, I might have made a run for it. But, you know, in all truth, I was pretty well toasted, so I couldn't have caught him. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. What is it about Badwater? Because that's, I mean, that's a huge part of your career between the races and the circumnavigation. And um, what's what's... You have that um, you have that thing about Badwater that I hear from people about Patagonia, and, and some people about oh. Baja. It's just it seems like there's something that draws you there that you have to go. You just you yeah, it just kind of seeps into your bones, I guess, and becomes you know more of a part of you. It can be you know very spiritual, also. Um, you know, I just feel great comfort there and I feel um I, I like the feeling of being just a little speck in the universe out there just feeling very very small insignificant I like that and then you have this expanse of sky you know the stars are out and they're just brilliant and everything else so you have that 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 beautiful uh skyscape um that is very enticing to just sort of uh, you know comfort you and envelop you um, plus there's the people who were out there. Um, you know, I look at them as my family. So I look forward to going out there every year and, uh, you know, reconnecting with those people. Although 
more and more of them are, are have gone by the wayside or you know gone on to bigger and better things so um yeah well but so, it's, well, it's, yeah. it's 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 yeah. all it's all good fun yeah. yeah so when you go there how many um ogs are there <laughs> you know the old school guys you know people you've been running with for 15 20 25 years are there very many well what a lot of guys, I, I have to laugh because, you know, you've got Dean Carnassus, you've got Pam Reed, and, you know, they didn't start running that race until in the 2000s. So they're considered old school. I started running it way back in the 90s. So every once in a while, like this year, there'll be one of them out there. Uh, Dave Jones will be out there, and he was running it back in the mid-90s. So, you know, all those from pre-95, I haven't seen any of them you know, for 10, 15 years now. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I, I think I'm not old school. I think I'm ancient school. <laughs> <laughs> when you go there and you're on the starting line, can you can you look at all the runners and, and pretty much guess how far they'll get? No, not <laughs> really. You just never know? Not, not really. I think, I think, you know, and I, I really don't care that much now. I would kind of try and evaluate everybody, and I pretty well knew by reputation whether or not, you know, I would have to compete with them on a higher level. Um, but but there's all shapes and sizes. There's all different speeds that are out there, and some people that look very frail and, uh, you know, don't look like they're going to be able to, you know, run a mile or two down the road, do very, very well. So it's it's very hard to anticipate who's yeah. going to do yeah. well. Those are the people that fascinate me that, that I see when I'm out. It's, you're just like, well, let's say, you know, here comes somebody that's, you know, 40, 50 pounds overweight, and you think, wow, well, you know. And then coming up 10 minutes behind them will be all these really, really fit people. And you're like, well, that person's doing pretty well. So you, yep. you just don't ever yep. know for sure. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. So I'm, 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 we're getting to adventure racing. It, you know, I know a lot about adventure racing. I don't know a lot about other stuff. So <laughs> mm-hmm. seven summits. What, I mean, was that just a logical uh, step for you when the time came? Well, I, I think more than anything, I can remember, and, you know, some people – set goals very early on. Yeah. I can remember, and this is the honest to God truth, when I was in Greeley, Colorado, I was five years old, and I'm watching a black and white TV, watching these guys uh, that are mountaineers try and get up. I can't even remember which mountain it was. It wasn't Mount Everest. But I can remember watching them, and they had, uh, you know, black fingers and toes and frostbitten, and they're trying to evacuate them off the mountain. And I thought to myself, oh, man, that that has to be so exhilarating. I want to be there. I want to feel that. I, You know, I want to do that. And so I kind of held that thought. And once adventure racing kind of went by the wayside, and that in itself, you know, helped quite a bit because take, for instance, you had mentioned Patagonia. We were down in Patagonia and did some mountaineering as well as in New Zealand. So, you know, I acquired some of those skills. Um, so I felt comfortable doing that. So it was sort of the next progression. But honestly, 
I did not know what the seven summits were when I first climbed Denali. That was the first of the seven summits. And somebody yeah. said, oh, are you going to do the seven summits? And I said, what the hell are the seven summits? Anyhow, they said, oh, that's the highest one. Oh, well, I thought, well, I, I, I really want to do Everest. That's why I'm here on Denali. And, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about the other one. So, yeah, I was able to experience all those. So it, it was I just kind of fell into it more than anything, more out of ignorance than, than anything else. Yeah. Ignorance. ignorance is bliss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what year did you climb Everest? Let's see, Everest, I think. I some of the I have to think about this stuff because it's been some time now. It's um, I think it was two thousand and three. It might have been two thousand and four. So it's been some time ago, sixteen, sixteen, seventeen years. So, so I have, and at that yeah. So I have a question for that, but I also find it very interesting that most people would know when they climbed Everest because they haven't done a thousand other things just as cool. So, um, so Everest in 2003 compared to now, what was it like in 2003? Was it as, as big a zoo as it is now? Um, I, I went up from the north side. So typically there's about 25 to 30%, 35% that go up from the north side. It's a little bit – it's the Tibetan side. It's a little bit more technical, a little bit more rock there, a little bit more wind. Um so, and I climbed with Russians. So there, there weren't more than, I don't think there were more than 200 people that were climbing from that side. And maybe on the other side, there were, I don't know, 500 to 800 or something like that. So it wasn't nearly as crowded for sure. And the beauty of it was it just so happened. And the Russians just had one tent at the 27,000 foot camp, just one tent. And there were three or four of us that were actually made it to the point where we'd be able to summit. And so, you know what we did to pick days? And some days were forecast to be better than, we drew straws. So, yeah. Um, that luck part. Yes. And so the day before I went up, it was it was very, very nice. And um, um, we had two of our people that summited that day. And then there was David from David D'Angelo from Boulder and myself who went up the next day. And that day in the afternoon was supposed to be bad. Well, as it turned out, uh, it was pretty windy and nasty, you know, right from the get go. And so. Uh, we were up at 27,000 feet. There were two Italians, a Sherpa, and there were Dave and I in a Sherpa, and the wind was blowing 30 miles an hour, and, you know, nobody was getting out of their tents, nobody from the south side, so we were the only six on that whole mountain, wow. and wow. we were able to summit. Uh, we had a nice little window up at the top where uh, it was sunny. And uh, we stayed up there about 30 minutes. And after I got my my drink of gratitude, um, you know, we went down because it started getting spooky and it started storming again and getting, yeah. uh, getting nasty. So, so I, I, yeah. 
Sorry about that. That's all right. Half the time I have my two crazy birds sitting with me making noise. So, um, <laughs> so reading the book about Everest, I just – and you talk about the Russians and how it came together. And I just knew that something was going to go bad, and it didn't. So um, – and I don't really have a question. I just – I guess I'm saying you, you must – you write well because I was tense just – Wondering if you were going to get to the mountain. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, everything didn't go exactly as planned. I had one very um, sketchy point where, uh, you know, the potential for me to, uh, well, let me explain to you exactly what happened. I was going up from the 21,000-foot camp up to 23,000 feet. And about halfway in between, there's this torrential stream that is coming down the mountain that is diving underneath little glacier caps and, you know, ice flows and things like that mm-hmm. that was uh, maybe eight feet wide, and there were a couple of rocks that you had to hop over. There's no bridge, of course, or anything like yeah. that. The water's probably uh, four feet deep, something like that, three or four feet deep. And I decided I was going to go up and, and, you know, just just do a little training uh, going up to the camp and come back down by myself, Uh, whereas David D'Angelo was with me most of the time. And what happened was I stepped on the very last rock as I was getting to the other side, and it slipped out from under my feet, and um, I was plunged into this, you know, very rapid, cold, ice-cold water, of course, um, must have been 40 degrees at best, and I can remember time slows down, and your mind just starts thinking about what you have to do to save yourself, and so what I did is, as I was falling in, I reached around and grabbed a rock on the shore, and pulled myself up and onto shore and, uh, you know, into safety. And you know what was going through my mind that whole time? I thought to myself, it is the strangest damn thing. I got to save myself because I don't want to be the first person who drowns on Everest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You believe that? No, I can. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what you hear <laughs> about things. It's the weird things Vanity. that go through your mind. So. Vanity. But, well, although that would have been a strange legacy. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. So, um, all right. I, I, I really want to know a little bit about the back to Badwater, about the, the circumnavigation, because that was pretty fascinating to read about. So, I mean, yeah. was that just, you're like, well, I've run it back and forth so many times. Let's Let's see if we can go around it. Well, what happened was there was a medical person, uh, Dave Heckman, who had been out there for years and years, and he'd spent a lot of time in the desert. And he came to me probably three years before we actually went out and did it, and he said, Marshall, you know what I'd like to do is a circumnavigation of Death Valley, which is about 425 miles. And so I said, no, I I don't think I want to do that. I mean, that's just a little bit you know, over the top and stuff like that because so much of the area is remote. And so I talked to him a little bit more and 
every year, you know, the next couple of years, he'd say, yeah, what about that circumnavigation? And I kept telling him, no, you know, that's 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 not in the cards for me. So finally, I started thinking about it. I thought, well, you know what? One thing about it, I know he's probably going to go out and do it himself. And it would just be a bitch if you went out there by yourself. And, you know, Dave did not have as much experience um, taking care of himself for the most part. He was very experienced in the desert and stuff like that. And he's a great navigator. And so I thought, you know, why not? You know, if we're going to do this thing, let's do it together. So then I asked him, I said, uh, what did you have in mind? He said, well, you know, how about we go out in March? And I said, how about we go out in the July, August window like everybody does, because that's the only way it's going to count in my book. And so he sort of, you know, he acquiesced and said, OK. And I said, what about if we do this self-contained, self-supported? So what we'll do is we'll dig caches and he wanted to dig caches and put them about um, 20, 25 miles apart. And I said, no way, man, because they would include water, too. Yeah. They'd include yeah. everything that we would need and we'd have to bury, you know, 32 to 34 of them. And so he finally said, OK, you know, I, I, I trust that you know what you're doing. <laughs> and. You know, I, I felt like, you know, I could figure out how much water we needed and so on. So we went out and I believe we buried about 200 gallons, over 200 gallons of water. And we would dig these. They almost look like graves that were six feet. We drop water in. We drop food in every other one. So we'd have food at a marathon distance for the most part. Yeah. And we'd go out and do at least a marathon a day, sometimes uh, 50K per day during the heat of the day. And the reason we did it in the heat of the day is we thought, you know, we'll travel at night. Let's make it easy on ourselves. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that um, during the day, if you try and sleep during the day, you cannot because it's so stifling hot. And if it's stale and no wind or anything like that to cool you off, it's just miserable. At night, you can yeah. sleep. So we yeah. inevitably had to sleep at night. And during the day, just because we're moving, say, three or four miles per hour, we would get a little breeze and it would cool us off. So we had to do it in the heat of the day. So um, yeah. we were successful and we had, you know, a couple of hiccups. Um, I like to say that, you know, running across America was by far the most difficult. Mount Everest was probably the most technical and Death Valley was the most dangerous because coming out of the Saline Valley, we gained about 5,000 feet in a mile and a half. We ran out of water, and uh, I almost I almost bought it out there. And Dave, you know, rose to the occasion and took my pack and, you know, helped me along the, the last four or five uh, miles to where our cash was. And, boy, I'll tell you, it was uh, – it was a you know, I can't believe that we actually made it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it got pretty dicey out there. Is, is I mean, sounds like that's the uh, probably the one moment you've had where you're, where you're like, yeah, this could be it. I mean. Yeah, and, you know, there were some other ones in an adventure race. Uh, I can remember being underneath one of the rafts, and 
Um, there were some knife edge cliffs that, you know, the uh, raft had bumped up against, and I'm really a bad swimmer. And, you know, I could have drowned during that, and we had some rocks come, come down uh, off of a cliff uh, in another one that, that just just missed us by inches. So, um, yeah, and uh, when I was down, I climbed Mount Blanc, and... and uh, uh, the back side of it is is the same way strewn with these these uh rockets of of uh, rocks coming down at you flying down at you and you just have to you know pace yourself and do a little stretch that's about 500 feet and take a good run for it and hope you don't get hit so uh yeah i've had a few a few close calls yeah. yep so all right so all right let's get to adventure racing what was what convinced you to do the first one? What or who? Well, there, there was a fellow, his name was Chuck Bush. And this was 1995. And he said, you know, there's this thing, it's it's called an eco challenge. And I need somebody that I'd like to bring him on the team that, uh, you know, is pretty good on his feet, can act as sort of a pack horse and knows what they're doing and stuff. Um so he invited me to be on this team, and I talked to him probably for 15, 20 minutes, and I said, you know, what does it involve? And he says it's different disciplines. You know, there's climbing, there's horseback riding, there's uh, rafting, you know, canyoneering, all this other stuff. And I said, ah, let's do it. So, you know, just kind of <laughs> yeah. jumped in with both feet. Yeah. And um, Mark Macy with, was with me in that, that first one also. Um so we absolutely did not know anything about what we were doing. We were our packs were way too heavy, and um, uh, we were lucky to finish the course. But Chuck Blish and his his girlfriend bailed out, and Mark Macy and myself, you know, carried on. And then uh, that's where we met another buddy of ours, Bob Haw and Lisa Smith Batchin, who is an ultra runner. Um, plus another fellow, his name is Corey. And so we came together and we decided to call ourselves stray dogs. So we raced as team stray dogs since, Yeah, you know, yeah. this is way back from 95 on. So it was just on a whim that we, we started it and it was just more by luck than anything that, uh, I was able to do all of them along with Adrian Crane and myself. You know, we're the only two that's left. Yeah, that's a, a pretty amazing legacy. Yeah, especially what after a what seventeen year break <laughs> that yeah. the race came back. Um, so obviously we can't talk, you know, about the race that can't be mentioned yet. <laughs> but what what was the difference between now and then for you? Speed. Yeah. <laughs> Is that... We're super slow. We're bump, bumping up on cutoffs. Uh, you know, we're just we're just not able to you know do what we used to do. We can still you know sort of ad lib and do the things that we need to. Take for instance, there was paddle boarding yeah. that was uh, yeah. you know involved in it, and so I had to learn how to do that. And you know, we did it pretty well, really. So. You know, you can teach an old dog new tricks. And, you know, the interesting thing was is the last one that we did was in Fiji, and that was in 2002. Yeah. So 
the average age of our team then was 52 years old. We were the oldest team in 2002. So here we come back 17 years later, and our average age is 66 years old. So it was pretty cool, and that was the goal to get out there and just, you know, show people don't don't let age uh, deter what you want to do. Go out and give it a go, and um, you know that's the name of the game. Yeah. Do yeah. do you do you know that you're sixty eight years old? Is that I mean, when you, when you think about it, do you, does that surprise you? <laughs> You know, I guess it doesn't surprise me so much. It's, uh, you know, I, I am, you know, I have to admit I'm, I'm disappointed that I can't go as as fast as I used to and do the things that I used to do. But, um, you know, it seems like, take, for instance, the old eco challenges or when I started running and stuff like that was almost yesterday. It wasn't that long ago. And I still, in my mind, I think of myself as being this extremely capable person that can do anything and then i go out there and it's like well that's not going to work so well yeah (laughs) i i i i feel your pain yeah yeah i'm out there and like yeah i'm just going to go with these guys for a while and then it's like you know no they're pretty fast aren't they (laughs) yeah or or as roy malone told me one time he says how come you don't race you know you're, you're you know running with us we're out there and i'm like you know, Roy, this is like day four of this race. <laughs> you never see me on day one, do you? And he's like, yeah, that makes sense. So, um, All right, this question is completely stupid and off the wall, but do you remember when you couldn't remember how old you are? Because there was a point in my life when all of a sudden I, I'd have to say, uh, how old am I? Am I 51 or 52 or, you know, for, you know, 40 years, it's like, yeah, I'm 40. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, 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 that's a very unusual question. I think, um, <laughs> you know, I think when I was running really well and, uh, you know, I think I peaked somewhere between 38 and 42 years old and that was kind of the sweet spot for me. And I didn't think about age at all. Yeah. I, I didn't care if I was 38. I didn't care if I was 42. I didn't even think about it. I would just go out and do it and know that I could put the hammer down and keep going. And I didn't, you know, I didn't even necessarily have to take care of myself that well because, you know, the youth would kind of get me through maybe not hydrating perfectly or eating perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I could pull it off, but I can't do it anymore. <laughs> you have to be careful now, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so I better ask this because when I don't, I'll get I get yelled at by people, Uh-oh. and it's it's a very cliche question, but people like it. So I'm going to narrow it down to eco challenges. Do you know the best and worst six hours of any eco challenge ever for you? Oh, let's see. I guess. Uh, I think one of the worst. Six hours, and I would even extend that into 12 hours, was down in Patagonia where we were completely lost for 12 hours. Um, There was also a Raid Galois where we were going 
the wrong direction for six hours. And so to get back on the right track, we had to do another six hours. So I think it was those times when we were lost. Um, You know, I can remember, you know, having, uh, say, dysentery for six hours straight and vomiting and, you know, doing this and that, uh, like in Morocco. So I can I can probably name quite a few of those. But you know what? I can think back on those, too. And I have fond memories of some of that crap that yeah. we're going through, yeah. sometimes literally. Right. Yeah. Um, so the the best times, I think, were uh, when it was usually on some sort of a water leg when we were going down, you know, some foreign take. For instance, I'll, I'll talk about the Ray Galois you know, again, which is an adventure race like the Eco Challenge. And we were in Lesotho, South Africa, on this wide river. And uh, here we've got uh, a Billy Billy that we're on, and we're just kind of pulling it along. And there was, you know, sort of a rhythm and peace of mind that you get with that. And so, you know, you can kind of just take a deep breath and enjoy it and look around and and enjoy the scenery and the weather and uh, just kind of feel at home where you are. Amazing. And congratulations because more than 90% of adventure racers know there were six hours just like (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah. So you got, you're you're in good company. Um, (laughs) So I want to talk about your book a little bit. How do you, how do you, write a book do you just do you sit down and say i need i need to tell people these things or how does that germinate in your mind and especially i like that um the reconnecting part yeah disconnect to reconnect to nature yeah put down the gadgets and stuff yeah so what i'll do is i'll go back to my first book Mm -hmm. and it was a little bit different process the first book was called running on empty in the the, the um, uh, backdrop for it was running across America. But if people read that and really get it, the reason that I was motivated to do it was, okay, you know, I, you know, I went out and broke a couple of records and ran across the United States in 52 days and I'm 57 years old. Okay, well, that's all well and good. But the emphasis, if people really get that story, it's a love story. It's a tribute to my wife. It's a tribute to everybody who has supported me because I could not have done what I have done without the support of other people. So that's what motivated me. And I thought if some people can come away with that, with something that they can get out of that story. And also, uh, I have heard people, you know, the reason I started running was because I lost my first wife at 30 years old. And so I started running to lower my blood pressure. And so it was out of survival. So a lot of people who have lost a spouse or somebody that they love, it helps them get through that grieving process because I didn't get over it for 10 years um, until I met Heather, my you know wife, uh, who sort of was patient with me and pulled me out of that funk. So the motivation for that book was a little bit different. You know, it was uh, multifaceted and it told a lot about, you know, the run and focused on it. Now, Both Feet on the Ground, which is the current book, 
a lot of people came back and they said, why didn't you talk about climbing Mount Everest? Why didn't you talk about, you know, more about bad water, some of the things that you did? And so I thought, okay, well, I can do that, but what is the message? And I think, you know, I don't think I'm going to write another book. This book is kind of what I wanted to say to everybody, that you can, you know, if you can overcome fears of doing something that you feel uncomfortable with, get out and do something, disconnect, get out into nature. It will heal you. It will make you whole. Um, So, you know, not that you have to, it even relates to, just that one specific thing, getting out into nature. I mean, yeah. if you're going into a workplace or something that is strange, it's overcoming fears. It's it's knowing that you can do it. It's knowing that you can succeed. So there's a lot of messages as well as even, you know, diet. I throw in a little bit about that. And most people are so prone to marketing, to you know, listening on the TV, what's good for you. And we all know what's good for us. It's just a balanced diet. You don't have to go yeah. off the rails to, you know, have this, you know, diet or completely this way with this diet, you know, just go middle of the road, but at least you owe it to yourself to know where those sources of food come from. Most people don't know where their food comes from. Uh, they don't know how it's raised. They haven't visited with farmers. They haven't, you know, so, you know, there's a lot that I had to say in that. And I just wanted people to sort of get a, a more complete picture of what I think at least has helped me. And um, probably I'm hoping made me a better person in the long run. And if I can, I share a lot of the stories on Everest. Uh, what I do is in the book, I talk about um, air and earth. So the earth is agriculture. The air is, you know, I tell stories about uh, Mount Everest and overcoming fears. The fire, of course, is Death Valley. The circumnavigation, I talk about that. And then water is, just as I was talking about doing some of the adventure races and yeah. having that, overcoming that fear of water. So there's there's a, you know, multifaceted theme in it, but I think it's very comprehensive and pulled together well. Yeah, I'm patting yeah. myself on the back here. I'll pat you on the back. And, and it, it's, it's, it's a very fun read. Definitely not a preachy read. Um, well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that because it, I want to stay away from that. But it's also not the, I did this and then I did that and then I did this completely. Right. So um, it, it strikes a really good balance. So Well, thank you. Which coming from an extreme ultra person that's like, how do you strike a balance writing <laughs> It seems like it should be extreme one way or the other. <laughs> so um, what's harder, writing a book or running Badwater? Writing a book. <laughs> yeah. I, I It took – the first book took me two years. This one took me six. Yeah. And is it <laughs> – I mean, because writing fascinates me because I can't do it. I mean, is it is it just a discipline that you learn, less like anything else, like mountaineering or – Paddleboarding? Oh my God, I, I cannot sit behind a desk for more than two hours. It drives me nuts. I got to get outside. So it, it is. It's a discipline. You know, I have to sit down. But you know, once again, all of the races that I did, I had support. 
when I'm writing this book, Heather, my wife, has supported me. I've had other people going through and editing it, uh, questioning me, telling me, you know, you need to go into more depth. You need to do this. You need to do that. So it was uh, it was more of a community effort, if you will. And uh, other than that, I wouldn't have been able to maintain the focus and, and pull it through. So we talked a little bit about training earlier, but so what kind of, you know, training mileage sit-ups, push-ups are you doing now this type of year? Of course, it's not this time of year. It's springtime. <laughs> yeah, this time of the year. Yeah, I back it way off. I Normally, you know, when I was really in my prime, I'd back off to, you know, maybe 60 miles and kick it up to 120 miles. And now it's uh, – you know, maybe half those distances. And, uh, you know, I every once in a while I'll go into the gym and lift weights or something like that just to get myself toned and do sit-ups and, you know, a few push-ups and things like that. But, uh, uh, you know, just I've always felt that running has really kept me fit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can remember before I got into running – I couldn't decide whether I wanted to be a weightlifter or a runner. And the reason I chose running is because I felt that, uh, you know, internally um, it would keep me fitter, my organs and everything, instead of just strengthening my muscles. That makes sense. And when you go out for a run, do you have a, I mean, are, are you on a training plan or do you just go out and run how you feel? I just run how I feel now. Before I would... I would kind of have a running plan yeah. or, you know, a regiment that I would do uh, that was, you know, very precise. And I think, you know, if, if when people ask me, how do you become a successful runner? I think more than anything, sure, you need to pick up the miles and stuff like that. But it's more about just being consistent with your training. <laughs> Agreed. Was there um, – we're going to wrap up here pretty quick because you got a life. I got a life, sort of. <laughs> but is there anything in the last 30 years that a race or or something that you really wanted to do that you didn't get a chance to? I can't imagine what it would be. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was I was able to run Comrades, and you probably know what mm-hmm. Comrades is in South Africa. Yeah. That's, that's um, you know, a... I, I don't know how it's it's as old as the Boston Marathon, even older than that. Um, I wasn't able to do Boston, but I don't really have any regrets about that because you know that was marathoning and that wasn't my genre or anything like that. But there was another race that was very very famous. It was London to Brighton, and um, that was an old one. It's kind of I think there's variations of it that still go on, but I was. I was never able to get in on that one, so I, I would have liked to have done that one. Oh. And it, I mean, is there anything else that you see around the world that obviously not happening this year? But I mean, is there anything other that you're looking forward or looking at other than bad water? Oh, well, and what I'm not yes, doing is saying yes. the bucket list thing. But <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I don't have much of a bucket list. But uh, take for instance, we. My wife and I and Mark Macy and his wife, we're all good friends. We all live here in Evergreen, and we were going to – in fact, it was just a week ago. We were going to come back from going to Croatia and, uh, you know, climbing, 
you know, the mountains there, uh, just going on a trek and stuff like that. And, you know, I'd like to do, I've, I've done, uh, Mount Blanc, but I'd like to do, you know, that circuit also, um, you know, just more on a casual basis with, with my friends or Heather and, and just enjoy it. So, you know, just, just enjoy life now. When you were, um, 38 years old and kicking everybody's butt at Badwater, did you think that someday you're just going to go, you're just going to want to go to the Alps and walk? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I can't. I, you know, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but you know, I can remember some of the older, older guys and stuff. And I thought, geez, you know, how, how can they go so slow? <laughs> and now it's like <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> so I mean, you know, it, it, as we had discussed, it was it's kind of that ego thing, and where you know you gotta think of yourself as being this tough guy that's gonna go out there and just kick ass and stuff like that. And really, that's that's just all kind of bullshit. Yep. You know, that's just puffing your chest out and you know blowing wind, and uh, you know it really doesn't mean that much at all. And in that same vein, if you will, I, I really don't, you know, I can go through and rehash things with you if you ask questions and I can tell you about some of the races, but they really don't mean that much to me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. it's, it's just something that I used to do. And sometimes I can't even believe that, you know, I ran this that fast or did this or won this or whatever. It seems like it was a different person. And you know what? That's that's totally OK, because I feel comfortable in my own skin right now. That's that's a really good place to be. It, and I think what, what I'm what I'm going to take away from this is somebody that's listening to this, that's 50 years old. They've still got 20 years of racing left. Oh, absolutely. So, because yeah. I run into those people. Oh God, I'm 45. I'm done. Like, <laughs> no, no, I know. you're not. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah. All right. Well, um, obviously, you can get the book, all the book places, and I'll put some links in there. And um, I'll I'll send Heather an, an email when I put this out, which may be in a day or two. So. Yeah, and that that'd be great. Uh, the the good thing about this book is when we rolled it out, uh, we not only did a hardcover and paperback, but we also did a Kindle. And in addition to that, I was thinking about runners and stuff. We did an audio version, so you can get all formats. Cool. Did you did you read the book? The audio book. Did the you... audio book? No, okay. I did not. So. Um, my first book was published by Penguin, and they hired somebody to do the audio. His name was Adam Veneer. And uh, so I sought him out, and he it's the same voice. So, uh, both Feet on the Ground is, is read in the same voice, and that's Adam's. That's cool, because I've, I've heard that uh, that's like a real ultramarathon, reading reading a book online <laughs> for Audible. Uh, yeah. So, well, cool. Yeah. Well, um You've been generous with your time. Thanks. So Well, thank you, Randy. I, I appreciate your time. And, um, well, I just encourage you, you know, your listeners to just get out there and enjoy nature. Right up it, until, It'll make you whole. Right up until Eco comes on Prime and then take 10 hours and sit and watch it. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. All right. Thanks very much for the chat. Okay. All right. Bye. It's an old cowboy song. Clap your hands with me. 